everything is an opportunity just like the the momentum i had walking into that machine shop and feeling so confident i said if this doesn't work out you want to talk about momentum and experience this is really going to bolster it, something in my life this is for something our guest this week is michael graves best known for joining the revival of legendary international punk band the misfits as their lead singer michael has had an incredible career in music with difficult ebbs and flows of good times and bad the key to his success focus doing the work and keeping your eye on the prize Join us as Michael tells the story of how he set himself up for success, both in the past and the present, on this episode of The Big Break. Michael, thank you for for being with us today. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you, Anthony. Thank you very, very much. Oh, great, great. So where are you calling uh, from today? I'm in rural New York State. I'm in a, a very, very small town in central New York called Preston Hollow. It's a town of about 200, maybe 250 people. I'm 45 minutes south of the capital in Albany, and it's nestled in the, the Catskill Mountains. If I go to the top of the hill on my property where I live, I, I can almost see the, the mountain where Rip Van Winkle fell asleep. All right. That sounds beautiful. It is. It's nice. It's finally getting warm here, too. Yeah, I could totally get it. I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm sort of a mountain area myself here in Denver, so I, I totally feel you on that one. Um, how you've been handling the uh, current pandemic situation, the stay-at-home orders and things like that? You've been you've been holed up pretty tightly. Yeah, I've been a, I've been alright. My life at, at home really hasn't changed much. You know, my my life hasn't changed much other than not being able to to go out on tour, which I guess is a big change. Like a lot of musicians, that's where I get a bulk of my income from is of course. Is, is touring. And so the challenge has been, with all the, the other challenges, I, I, have, I have children. Uh, so now I'm homeschooling a 13-year-old. I'm homeschooling an 11-year-old. I'm homeschooling uh, an 8-year-old. And I have a 2-year-old. And you get your like hands I, full. Yeah. And like I said, I live in rural New York State, so I live on a small farm. I have goats, I have chickens and ducks and, and, and cats and dogs. So I, I have um, I have lots of chores that, that keep me busy. And because of not being able to tour, not being able to make that money, I then had to come say, well, how am I gonna how am I gonna replace that income? Um, and so I've, I've been focusing on through my social sites using technology to reach my fans to help drive income by live streaming by playing uh live and, and just offering products and things that make money from the virtual world because we can't right we're not we're not able to to access the physical world right now so we have to we have to do something different did you actually? Did you have? Did you have actual tour dates that were canceled? That the things that you were planning on on doing that that got uh, that got either postponed or completely canceled. I was a week and a half into 
a um, two-month-long acoustic tour that was going to move in two days after or three days after the acoustic tour was to end, which was um, just a couple of days ago, right? So the acoustic tour was, was supposed to be March, April into May, a couple of days off from my daughter's birthday, and then I was to be on a plane to go to Europe for another month uh, with with the full band uh, that I that I that I play with, so so yeah, so yeah, yeah I had, that, I had that, a, that's a serious that's a serious disruption then for sure. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. All right. And then and then we had plans for Australia, we had plans for South America, and to uh, go back to Europe as well. All things that were were being planned and booked that were then just gone. That's that sucks, man. I'm I'm very sorry to hear that, but it sounds like you're at least making some steps to make up for it. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into more of that, I think, in, in a little bit. I, yeah. I think I want to take a quick uh, quick shift here just a little bit, and let's, uh, let's reverse gears here. Let's go back a little bit. One of the main things we like to do on the show is, uh, you know, talk about how you've gotten to the point where you are today, where you can tour uh, at the extent that you're touring, or you can shift into more of an online model. But, like, uh, just, you know, talk just about the early days and how you even got into them to the music business in general and whatnot. So I'll take it even a step further. One of the things I love to ask folks uh, on this podcast is just how, how, how do you got into music in general? And I mean by that is that, you know, a lot of us are, you know, we all like music. A lot of us listen to music. I've listened to music my whole life, but there was never a point where I ever thought that I would actually perform music, let alone create music. So Maybe you could, if you could, if you could jump in the wayback machine a little bit and kind of tell us about what you know the point where you realized maybe that music was something that was more than a thing that you were going to consume, yeah. but that you were going to actively participate in contributing to. Yeah, you know, it's it's strange. I look back on my life, and um, uh, the the first dream in my heart was was to be. A, a preacher. I wanted to tell people about about God. I, from a very young age till about, um, I don't know, maybe nine or, 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 or yeah, about nine or 10 years old. That's, that's, that's what I, I, I felt in my heart and in my soul. But then at about nine or 10 and I had, I had always had music around me. I, I was, there was always a radio on in my house. Somebody was always listening to music. Um, I just, I would hear a song and it would have such a profound effect on my emotions. And I, I, I try, I try to, I, I try to explain it. It's, it's so profound that it's like, I can, it's like how people I think see how we see colors, how we perceive colors. It's very like pictures and it's very, again, it's a profound emotional experience and I also had this, which I still do, this, um, maybe it's a compulsion, this, this, this drive to reach people and to communicate with them and, and convey those emotions through song and through music. Um, so I, I went from, from that, from the preacher thing and, and all that comes with that into, wow, music kind of makes me feel like I can maybe get some sort of message about hope and peace and love. 
and all of the things that make up the this human experience that I'm trying to figure out. Music was always this place that I could that I could go, and so I just uh, I found a, an acoustic guitar in my uncle's closet. I knew he had it, and I knew he didn't play it, so I went and I got it, and it had like four strings on it. It was totally out of tune. And I just started making sounds with it and I would listen to my records and I would listen to music and I would just, I would just make sounds. And so where, 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 where were you? This is uh, I mean, are you from the, is this all in New York area basically or New Jersey or where are you? Where, I grew up in no Northeastern New Jersey, Northeastern New Jersey in Bergen okay. County in a, in a town called Dumont, which is about 12 miles from the George Washington bridge. Okay. My mom, my grandparents, they, they grew up in the Bronx and, you know, before I was born, moved over to, to Dumont. So it was very suburbia, very suburbia. So, you, you, so you're in the suburbs of New Jersey. You find this, uh, this four string out of tune acoustic guitar. You start banging around at it a little bit and start learning how to play. Yeah. My parents always around Christmas time took us to New York City to see all the, the decorations. And I remember going with them one time. Um, and I never saw homeless people before. I never saw a homeless person before. As we were walking around, we walked past this homeless person and it was like when Buddha saw the worm, I think that, that man, I could still see him in, in my, in my brain, just, it sparked something inside me. So when we went, when we went home, I, I wrote my first song <laughs> and it was called, Mo right. it was called Mostly Alone. Right on. Okay. That's interesting. And, so, and what, and what kind of... Um... I'm going to ask you what kind of song was it? And I, and I don't really know what I mean by that. I guess, you know, was it a, a, a mellow song? Was it, you know, like, give me the idea. I still remember it was, it was G up to the C. It was going, it was like, mostly alone. Cause there's no time. Mostly alone. Yeah. It was just, it was just okay, simple. So you're, <laughs> and what was that like? I mean, you know, writing the song, like, that just, that, that's, that's the part that I'm kind of I'm trying to get at. Like, I've never written a song. I don't even. I wouldn't even know how to write a song. So you actually, you know, and how old are you, by the way, when you wrote this song? Oh, I was probably nine, ten years no. old. Really? Uh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so you're right. So and so and then, like, what was when you actually wrote that song? I mean, did you? What did that feel like? I guess. I mean, the creating, the creating of a song. It it feels like to me, I, I when you. I don't know, like maybe when you capture a butterfly, right? Or if you're trying to chase a frog and you finally chase that frog. And because I think it's the encapsulation of the emotion, the, uh, the, 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 the intangible feelings that we have. It, and, and, and to be able to bring that emotion into the physical realm, right? To manipulate the air so that you can hear it. And it does something to you that you sort of sense the, you sense the feeling when, when I write a song, even back then, I, it feels like I capture something which I can then give to you that you wouldn't necessarily be able to give to you. If I wasn't, if I didn't have the tools, if I didn't have the ability to play a guitar or and sing and play or play a piano and sing. Okay. Okay. So, and so what happened? I mean, was that like a turning point in some way for you in terms of like your hook now or, or, or what happened after that? I think that after that, my, my mom especially really saw that 
I was an artist, that I was dedicated to this because every waking moment I was either using my imagination or listening to music, putting headphones on. I, I was just all about it. And my mom took a notice to that. And from then on, all the way even, and especially through my teenage years, anytime my, my mother saw an opportunity for me to learn about arts or music, whether it was through my public schools or she saw a, a class that was offered in the newspaper locally, she pushed me to do it and, and helped me gain access to those things so that I could learn and continue to, you know, get my mind working around arts and music and learning about art and music as much as I possibly could because I devoured it. Yeah. Did you, did you like take formal lessons in guitar or anything else or vocal or anything along those lines? Not until, not until later, not until I, I, I started doing this professionally, you know, I was in okay. chorus and you know, I was in a, the, the weekend theater group type thing. Okay. And when did you start playing with others in terms of music? My first band was, I was in sixth grade. And this kid came to school. His name was Dave Hogan. And and him and I started a band and with with a couple other kids. So it was sixth grade. The band, the band call? we call we called ourselves Bambi Slam. And then we couldn't call ourselves Bambi, Bambi Slam. Slam. Yeah, we, we couldn't call ourselves that anymore because it just so happens that there was another band. I, I don't know, we found this other band that, that played around called Bambi Slam. So so we called ourselves Social Outcast. All right, and did you guys like play just play together? Did you? I mean, sixth grade. I can't imagine you had like big shows necessarily going on back then. But no, we just went to. We played at Dave's house. We we went to his house. He had this like porch, and we uh, we 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 knew a kid that had that that had some drums. Um, the guy that was living in Dave's basement had some drums. He had, you know, he was an alcoholic, so like he played them now and, and then, but usually not. And so. Um, you know, he let us, he let us use his drums and our, our friend Scott, his, his mom got him a bass guitar. And, um, I just had this old Radio Shack microphone that we plugged into uh, the, the stereo somehow and, and use that as a, as a PA and went at it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, you know, we cover, we tried to cover songs that, that we liked. We, we, Eventually, we wrote a couple of songs. You know, so, as we got older, into seventh and eighth grade. Okay, and so, like, when did uh, I mean, while you're going through all this, you're going, you're, you're obviously, you're, you know, at school, it's middle school, you're getting ready to go to high school and whatnot. In your, you know, this is kind of an age where people are kind of starting to think about their future a little and what they're going to do. Were you thinking and planning of being a musician, or was there other plans you had for your life that outside of music that you were thinking of at that time? I just wanted to be in a band. I just All knew right, so that, that I, yeah, I, I knew that I was going to be a musician. I just knew it. It was just a matter of time. I mean, okay. I was already a musician, but I knew. But for careers, the difference, you know, there's doing it versus making a living on it. Yeah. I always felt like I was heading for something. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, that, that's actually pretty common. A lot of folks I talk to, it's like, the, it's, it's almost like there wasn't really a choice. It was just sort of, well, yes, this is what I'll clearly uh, be doing. And I think it's interesting 
that you mentioned, like, you know, much earlier in your life, the, uh, the idea of being a preacher and whatnot, there's, I mean, it's some, for some, they may think that's a different, you know, like a switch, but it seems like there's a lot of similarities between those things. You're talking about being in front of people, you're talking about expressing yourself, you're talking about generating in a response in the audience that you're, that you're performing to in one sense or another. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of overlap, it feels like between those two, those two goals. It's amazing the way that God works. It's true that God works in mysterious ways. I never understood that exact sentiment more, you know, as I get older, I'm 45 now. I, I, I see that. Yeah. There, there are a lot of similarities. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So what did, uh, you know, whether it was high school or later, like, what was your, like your first, I guess I want to put a little quotes around this, but real band, like when you, you know, you actually are playing in, you know, for paying audiences and, and, and things like this, like what was it? Was there another step there? Through high school, you know, the, the band that I, that I was in, I mean, even before that in, in like eighth grade, but yeah, especially in high school, every now and again, my band would, would get involved in a show that was, was like kind of local. I mean, we would have to go to Newark, New Jersey, a place called Studio One and a big band would, would come and the, the roster would be filled with like 30 other bands underneath them, you know, and, and where you got on where you wound up on the on the roster was how many tickets you sold so it it was it, there wasn't a lot of you know there wasn't a lot of gigs we would we would play in people's we would play in somebody's garage you know and people would come over and listen to us and skateboard there okay. wasn't a really like a big scene there was no yeah there was no clubs or anything that we ever really played at <laughs> on a regular okay. basis at least so that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, I mean, uh, the I, I don't want to assume, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do so. And you two, please correct me if I'm wrong. But you know, uh, at some point, you you auditioned to be the uh, front man for for the Misfits, and I'm just trying to get a sense of what you were doing immediately before you went to that audition. And then let's talk about you know, obviously, that transition itself. Yeah. So the the summers of my high school years, I would come up here to to New York State to the Catskill Mountains, and I worked at a vacation resort up here. When I was going to high school, I was a, uh, I wasn't the easiest person in the wor world to handle because I never wanted to go to school because I didn't necessarily, I just didn't care about school because all I wanted to do was, I just wanted to, to do music. I, you know, as I, as I got older, I, 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 I took a, a real liking to just the, the operations of this place because it was very much like the production of a show at this, at this resort, which is 10 minutes down the road from me, you know, where these families would come up and they'd be entertained and they have this experience. It's this whole interactive, wonderful thing. And I truly fell in love with wanting to be part of the whole production of it. So my father asked the Nicholson family who, who owns the establishment, they always have since um, arriving here in America a hundred years ago. Um, so I uh, talked to the owners and, and they gave me a job and they, and they took me in, uh, you know, like their own. And um, I really learned the value of hard work and I really learned hard work. So um, not to get too much uh, into the weeds, I became friends with, with people up here. This is where I, I longed to be. These were where my friends were. Uh, the, the owners, Gary Nicholson would put me on stage. They, they, they helped me learn how to be with people. I got the opportunity to, um, you know, try songs out. 
Well, let me make sure I understand. So this is a resort, and you're on stage, and you're and you're and you're singing, you're performing. Are you do are you on your own? Are you with others? What's what's what what's I was happening? actually doing? You know, during the day, I I I worked in in the kitchen. I'd be peeling potatoes. I'd work. I'd wash dishes. You know, I'm cutting grass during the days. Towards the end of the summer, I would have the opportunity to become a social director. So I would be. Uh, I would I would be doing like bingo. I'd be playing kickball with the kid. I would be organizing kickball. I'd be organizing softball. I'd be doing fishing tournaments. And then at night during during the week, they would have talent nights, or and they would have other bands come in. And especially during talent night, that would be my opportunity. I would get up and I would play. Uh, I remember I would jam the song from Depeche Mode on the piano and, and sing. First time I did it, it was an absolute disaster, and I I literally walked off the stage. Um, so I, I, I was getting all of this experience. I was, I was getting all of these, these experiences that were really building my character and, and making me better as a musician. Um, senior year, I was going to stay up here in Greenville, New York and, and go to and finish out my high school year with my friends who were up here. Didn't work out during the year. Um, my, my, I always imagined myself after graduating high school to living up here where I am now, working at this resort and maybe hopefully getting that opportunity that I knew that I was destined for. So during my senior year in high school, going about my business and the end of March rolls around and I get a phone call that one of my buddies up here had a tragic accident and died. We were 18 years old. He died. He drowned in the Catskill Creek, Jeez. and it was it was like being hit by a Mack truck. I, I never, I, I, I never really experienced death in my life like that. And this was my buddy. This was a, this was someone. This he. I gave my first autograph to 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 this kid, and he was one of the. You know, he was like, oh, I you know, he believed in me. It was a terrible thing. So I never went back. I never went back, but like I was saying before, God works in mysterious ways because I stayed home that summer. I got a job. I joined a band. We were working um, on, on recording and really upping our game. And while working in a, while recording a demo in Lodi, New Jersey, the sound engineer's name was Bobby Aleka, the, uh, the studio was, was called Real Platinum. It's probably still there. He turns to me as we're working on vocals. He said, man, you know, you really got you really got something. I know these guys, and I've known them all my life. Um, they're in a band called The Misfits. They're getting back together, They've they've and they're looking for a singer. And he handed me a number uh, and said, call this guy. His name is Jerry, and, and schedule an audition. Might work out for you. And so I did. All right. So I have a number of questions. <laughs> so let's start with, uh, first of all, were you a fan of the Misfits already? If you were, uh, you know, did you, did you know their music? Was that something that you were like, you know, really jazzed about and, and knew the songs and things like that? Or did you have to like research it and, um, and learn, you know, the music and whatnot before going into audition? I had, I had to learn the songs. I, the first thing I, I, I said to Bobby was, I, I don't, I said to him, I said, Bobby, I can't sing like that. I, I don't sing death metal. And he laughed. Well, yeah. What kind of music were you performing? 
before, like with the band that you were doing the demos for? If you took like Rush and Tool and the Smashing Pumpkins and and Jane's Addiction and smashed it all together, that's what my band, that's the kind of music my band was making. You know, it was alternative. It was it wasn't punk music i was a skate rat right so and and when when i was a when i was a skate rat and we were outside people would bring their boom boxes with their mixtapes and sure you always heard i i when i heard skulls and i heard martian and i heard some of the the more popular songs uh they were familiar to me I, but I, my age, I knew if you said Glenn Danzig to me, and if you, you know, and I heard Mother, it's like, oh, okay, you know, that's a that that's the guy on MTV, right? Totally. So, so you're familiar with some of these things, but and then, but it wasn't necessarily what you were listening to or or playing at the time. No, okay. no. Nope. All right, but but you still wanted to give it a shot because it interested me because I knew that these guys were definitely doing things that I didn't have access to yet. They were, you know, they, they were a band that was already in place. That seemed that I knew. Right. Um, and when I, I, I called up some of my friends, uh, they, they, they freaked out, <laughs> you know, again, like I was, I was younger and I had a lot of older friends. I hung out with a lot of older friends. Who, who were punk rockers and, and, and skinheads, but I was never clicky. So I just kind of bounced, you know, I had, I had goth friends. I had athlete friends. I just, I had, you know, um, I just had a lot of, a lot of diverse friends. My, my main group of friends were, were, um, no pun intended. They were like misfit kids, right? So they were punks and they were, and they were, they were skinheads. And so as soon as word got to, to them, I called them up. I'm like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah misfits everyone said you have to come over right now and i remember one of my older friends who was in college who was a huge henry rollins fan huge she just she sat me down and and the first thing she 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 played for me was henry rollins get in the van and i listened to that and then she gave me all her her misfit records and said start listening and i did and i came out and i and then then the 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 picture started to solidify for me what this might be okay so that that makes a lot of sense right and then you go in you've heard all this stuff you've listened to the music you had to learn the songs just you know tell me about the audition i guess i'm, I'm really kind of i've always been curious about how those work it was really weird because the way that i envisioned it in my head was not the way it was it i showed up at a is a big machine shop that the that the that the jerry only's uh, family owned, you know, they're machinists. So there was this, just like this big building and in the middle of rural New Jersey, actually it was in, uh, it's built up now, but you know, 25, 26 years ago, it was very different. So I'm like, what the heck is this, man? I, w- I walk upstairs and it's just this like side office that they've turned into a practice room and it's really, it's lit like, you know, in school with the, with the fluorescent lights, it just does not feel rock and roll. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm hanging out with my friends It's not, and when we rehearsed, it's, it's not <laughs> like it was, there was a weight bench in the room and it was, um, me, it was Jerry only and, and the drummer who, who we called Chud and Doyle wasn't there. The guitar player wasn't there. 
I was very confident. I knew the songs. I, I, I was very, very, very confident. It was the night of my 20th birthday too. Uh, or the night before my, my 20th birthday. And we just jammed. We jammed everything that I, that I knew. It was just the three of us. And it was, it had to have been at least three records worth of, worth of stuff. I mean, we played for like an hour and a half wow. and yeah. And, and I, I, I felt confident. I, I, well, what was the, what was, what do you think was the source of that confidence? Like, why were you so confident? I was so confident because of all of the experience in the past, all of that momentum, all the way back to even just my mother showing confidence in me and, and signing me up for all of these things and saying, yeah, you definitely should join chorus or yeah, you definitely should try out for that part all the way through all of the, the hard work and the, the, the hours I spent trying to sing or just spending time and having experiences, both success and failures. Um, and, and the focus and the dedication to the, the part, uh, of, of the craft that, that needs that. And I also felt confident because I went in there with, with, a, a I, I knew who the misfits were. I knew what they meant in, in the history of music. I knew all the players. I, I knew, um, I knew how the engine was built. I feel like I had a firm grasp on the spirit of the music as well, as firm as I could at that, at that point in my life. And so I just went in there and, and I, and I ripped, I was ready. I was so ready for, for that opportunity. Also aside of the technical part of feeling like, yeah, I can sing these songs. Yeah. I can jump around and freak out while I sing these songs. I, I also had a firm grasp on the spirit of the music because I had a knowledge base that I was pulling from. I knew what the misfits meant to, 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 to the, to the scene. I, I knew how they operated and where they played. And I, I knew it all instead of just singing the songs. Okay. That makes sense too. Like you were thinking about your audience as you were, as you were performing, you're, you're, you're thinking about how the, the, I would say the message as a, as, as a communications guy, but basically you, you were thinking about who was going to be receiving this and what they needed and what they were and what they liked about it. Well, yeah, be, because the audience that was already in place, the misfits had, had become, had become legend. And so, and it was in a, it was in the, the punk scene and in the punk scene, obviously 25 30 years ago is way, way different, different yeah. than it way different. Right. Um, so yeah, like Bob Dylan said, you got to know your song well before you start singing. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good line. Well, let's, let me just, a few more questions around that. First of all, um, in terms of getting the gig, was it, was it close? Were you up against any competition or was it like you went in or you jammed and, and done deal? Um, it was this long drawn out deal, man. It was so crazy. Um, it lasted all summer long. I always heard that Glenn might come back. I always heard that Dave Vanian from the damned was, might come back. These guys just couldn't settle on anybody at one. So I come in there and I audition and a couple of weeks later, they decide, well, let's take out an ad in the newspaper. So they took out an ad in the newspaper 
in one of the major publications in New York. Um, uh, they took out the, in the Aquarian, in the East Coast Rocker, you know, all those newspapers. Here's the big skull. So that news traveled all across the country. And they had, and word started to spread that Jer that Jerry was recording all of the auditions. So there was just lines of kids that started to show up. It started to, it was really ridiculous. So what happened was I continued to obviously stick around and start to form relationships with, with the guys in the band, especially Doyle. Doyle and I started to, to get closer as this was going on. Ch Chud and I beca became real close. And so anytime there was anybody that was like, oh yeah, he's kind of good. I, I would come along because I was always around and I would sing a couple of songs and it would always be back to, see, you're not going to find anybody. I'm, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. Well, it's, I guess it's too big of a gamble. Nobody knows who I am. Maybe there's somebody better. Lord have mercy. <laughs> so, uh, so, so the Halloween season is upon us. It's getting close. The misfits have to make a choice because the misfits have to relaunch on Halloween or it just doesn't make sense. Right. The, the misfits can't relaunch on May 15th. They're, no. they're, you know, after all these years. Right. So, uh, so they're in the midst of all of that and the phone rings and it's, um, it's typo negatives manager. And he says, he says typo is, is, headlining the, the Roseland Theater, New York City. Why don't you guys, if you want, why don't you guys come out uh, during the encore set and relaunch that way? Play a couple of songs and, and tell everybody the Misfits are back. And they say, well, we don't have a singer. And they asked Pete Steele if he would do it. So Pete says, yeah, man, no problem. I'll do it. Uh, so, but Pete also says, I don't know any of the songs, so you have to come teach me. So they hang up the phone and, and the misfits, they turn to me and they say, Hey, will you go teach Pete Steele the misfit songs? I'm like, hell yeah. I'll teach Pete Steele. The, this. I'm a huge typo negative fan. I love typo negative. Anytime typo negative played in New York, New Jersey, I was there. Um, I actually rolled up on Pete Steele one time at a show that, that he used to hang around the merch booth sometimes at some of the local shows. And I, I went up to him and I was in the band before the misfits and I handed him a cassette tape. And I was one of, I was one of those people was like, Hey man, anytime you have some free time, you want to listen to my demo? Uh, here it is. And yeah. he was very gracious. It was, it was awesome. So, so I say, yeah, I'll teach Pete the songs. So we all get in the car. We drive to Brooklyn, New York. And we walk into the, uh, we walk into the the typo negative practice space, which is very strange. And Pete was like grinding something, and there's sparks flying everywhere. And I'm thinking, like, what in the world? This is crazy. So we start playing. Um, it was like Halloween horror business. Static. I turned into a Martian. The first couple of songs, and I sang them. And Pete's got the words. I can tell he's kind of briefed himself on the songs and he starts singing. We keep going back and forth. And we're doing this for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And Pete just stops everything. And he's, and he says, everyone, this is nuts. He's like, he says, what are you, 
what are you doing? This this kid is fantastic. He sings these songs better than me. He sings these songs better than anybody in this room. This is your singer. You got to let him come out and and rock these songs. And of course, my heart is in my throat. Like fucking yeah, listen to Pete Steele. <laughs> um, so 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 there, Pete is advocating for me, and um, they That's they really agreed. the Misfits agreed. And I, yeah, I walked I mean, out on stage with them that night. That's that's fantastic. I mean, I it, that's really interesting. I mean, you're you're here. You are you you auditioned. You're lo- you're basically lobbying for the part. You're you're being very patient and very gracious with the fact that they're still continuing to audition. You're you're getting close to the folks. You're not like like I, someone like myself. I'd be getting like angry or bitter or like uh, impatient or any of these things. And so, not only you're not doing that beforehand, but then when they ask you to literally go in and train the guy who you want to be, you you you're gracious enough to do that, and through doing that get the gig that's that's amazing to me yeah man yeah and and like i said pete Steele was my hero i love typo i still do i, I was a i was a, a huge fan so it was just it was it was it was amazing to even just be right be able to be the guy to to teach pete these songs yeah and then and then here he is he stand he stands <laughs> up and just do it man holy cow man well i gotta i gotta imagine that and I'm, I'm just tell me if i'm off base here but i gotta imagine that because you're sort of you know you haven't really been established at that level already that you're more willing to kind of roll with these punches a little bit right that you right. know you know you, you don't have a platform to really kind of you know make an ultimatum or anything like this you have you kind of have no choice but to kind of roll with it a bit right yeah yes for for sure uh and what i see in my head i've I've surfed all all my life not so much now that i have all these children um (laughs) but it's like riding that wave and and when you're on that the wave if there's still more you're looking down the line and there's there's still more of that swell coming you can't you can't ditch out yet you just keep going and that's what I did. I just crouched. I, I crouched down, and I just kept on going. Let's see where this is going to take me. Okay. Everything is an opportunity, just like the the momentum I had walking into that machine shop and feeling so confident. I said, "If this doesn't work out, you want to talk about momentum and experience. This is really going to bolster it, something in my life. This is for something." Well, and then so then and you you played, you got the gig, and that was and, and obviously uh, history is made. But I, I have to ask one one question, which is just replacing, you know, becoming the the lead singer of of, of the reformed Misfits. I mean, what was that like? You know, you know, re, you know, replacing the front man is different than like replacing the drummer. You know what I mean? So how did you sort of yeah. f- fill into that role? And, and, and kind of make it your own actually over time, which is, which I think is not a lot of people can do. I, I just focused on being the singer. I didn't focus on what am I going to say to anybody? I just focused on building myself and what I had to execute as, as, as that guy, I had to, I had to be healthy enough to be able to, play with these guys i have to and i have to be hungry enough i have to uh, i have to be uh, you know i i have to have all all of my facilities i have my voice has to be strong enough i have to have a vision of where i'm gonna bring this band 
because I was much more, and I, I am much more of a, um, you know, the, 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 the writer of, of the bunch. I had much more of an artistic, you know, vision of, of where to bring the band, especially because I was younger. I was 20 years old. These guys were 31, you know, 11, 12 years older than me. Um, the, and, and then, you know, beyond Jerry was even, you know, a few like 15 years older than me. Uh, so, so I was part of the, you know, the generation coming up, I was 20 years old. I was, I was still a pup. <laughs> right. And, and so, and so I didn't focus on all of the, I'm in this popular band thing. Uh, I'm going to go out and party. I'm, I, I didn't, I didn't take part in any of that. All I did was focus on, on getting good. If I, you know, we, we, that's all I focused on was how do I get better? It, if, if I didn't do something good there, how do I do it better tomorrow? As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties they were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy-to-understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. How did you like approach the idea with them about uh, you know actually writing new songs? Did you come to come up with a song as an idea, or did they, or did everyone just get together and say, okay, it's new music time, and and you just naturally flowed into that part? Like, how did the how did the writing component come in? So the the first tours we did were, was were the resurrection tours, and we just focused on all of the old material. We knew at a certain point that that was going to end. We had to write new music. I knew that as well. So while we were out on the road and we were having so much success coming out of Europe uh, and, and uh, once we started selling the American shows, we were out with Anthrax who just had a new album, Cannibal Corpse, Life of Agony. Um, record companies started to look at us. And so we, we knew that we, and if we were going to be a relevant band, if we were going to be a real band and we weren't just going to ride the wave of, there's a lot of punk bands coming back then. The Sex Pistols reunited back then. Uh, the, you know, the Ramones were, were, were charging hard, getting ready actually to, uh, to retire. Um, you know, they were on their last five year run. There was, a, there was a lot of that going on, but we wanted to be a relevant band. So we have to write new material. The other fellas in the band, Doyle and Jerry, were coming from a, a band that was very, very 
metal. It was called Christ the Conqueror, and it would it had it was just it had Jeff Scott Soto singing, and he's a, he's got a great voice, but it is not punk rock at all. It's not alternative. It's it's straight up straight up um, metal. It's like big metal, mm-hmm. and I knew that that we couldn't we couldn't do that, and so I started to. You know, I read a lot. I was I loved history. I was reading. Um, you know, I loved science. I was, and and so I started to, um, I started to write songs, man. And I was I was uh, I was I was reading this book called American Psycho, and I thought, how perfect, how perfect for the times, <laughs> how perfect for the way that the world feels right now, um to come up with a concept around that. And so I started to put together songs and, and American psycho was, was one of them. And we started demoing stuff and I started showing those guys and it became clear to them as well that, Oh my God, this kid's a ringer. <laughs> He's got 15 songs that we can <laughs> right off the bat. Here we right. go. Well, that's great. And do, what do you, this, I don't, this, and there's not a lot of people that I get a chance to ask this to you. So I'm always curious you, you know, you obviously you performer, singer, right? Recording things like that, but also a songwriter. Do you, do you do you prefer one over the other? Is it are they just two completely different worlds that you jump between? Like you know, writing versus performing. Um, I've, I I love them both equally for what it does to me. You know, when when, when I'm performing, the, the payoff of of that is is, um. You know, it's different than than the the payoff of 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 writing something, but if, if I I'll be honest with you, if I had to choose between, oh no, I shouldn't do that. You know, I, you don't I, have I, to I, choose. I guess I'm just trying to understand the, what those different payoffs are that you mentioned. Like it almost feels I, like when you perform, it's like you're you're getting you're doing something for others, whereas when you're writing, you're doing something for yourself. I, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I'm I'm interpreting here. When I'm writing, it's it's like going out into the forest and looking for something. You kind of know what, and you kind of know what you're what you're looking for. This shiny sort of, you know, you, it's, it, and I'm I'm using that as an allegory to the emotion or the sentiment that you're trying to capture in a song. So, so you're specifically looking for that emotion, that's that sentiment. I'm specifically looking for this grayish green rock that might be somewhere in this forest. Kind of know where it is. So you head over and and it's like finding that rock. It's like I found it. That's it. That's it. And you, you, for me, I, I, it's like, I feel a shift that I've, that I, that I've, I've, I've found something. I always know that I have something creatively song wise when it's like, it hits me and I, I have a true emotional, it, it moves me. I have this emotional response to it, whether it's a phrase and, and that it's usually a, a phrase within a melody. It could just be three chords over and over. I just, it feels, you feel it deep down where that small silent voice comes from in the pit of your stomach. You're like, there it is. That's the payoff. And then for performing, it's a different payoff. Yeah, it's, it's more of a triangulated thing because it's, it's like, it's coming out of me. It's being put into the physical world. It's being, 
you know, it's manifested into the physical world through, through me and through the other guys in the band. It gets into that audience. And then knowing that those people, that audience in front of you have, has connected to that signal is, is a fulfillment. It's, it's the completion of a circle. And so it now you, it's almost like it's, it's like this, it's, it's an amplification of, 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 of it all. And in many ways, a, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, 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 um, it, 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 not that it, it gives substance to everything. It, it's, it, the, the payoff is it, I don't know the, the, the adjective I'm looking for. It's not coming it's okay. to my, to my mind. But there, it's definitely a different, a different, um, it fulfills you in another way. And I, and I think that's, yeah. that's really what, what's important and what's matters and that, that you can appreciate them both. I know I definitely don't want to ask you to pick one over the other. Cause I don't think that would be fair, but, uh, I'm always just curious about the two different, the two different places that, that people can go to when they have the unique ability to do both. And cause it's not as common. Usually I talk to folks that are either, uh, are songwriters or they are performers. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I did it, you know, when we're performing, and it and ev- and everything clicks. I feel like I did. I, I did it. When that circle is complete, it makes all of the. It makes all of the hard work. Even back when I wasn't so good at it and I wasn't so successful, it. I I I I, I feel in my my heart and my soul that I did it. I did it. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a point of satisfaction. I, I could keep on asking you a ton of questions here, but I want to be uh, res- uh, respectful of your time. Just no, I wanted not, to. I'll, say, I'll answer as many. <laughs> I have no time constraints. That's great. Well, let me let me, let me just. I don't want to get away from the uh, the misfits too much. I think that was a great. That's a great uh, you know story in terms of how you kind of got into the business and whatnot. But I'm also very very interested in how you've expanded beyond that. Um, you've uh yeah at one point you joined uh the marines for instance which i thought was very interesting and, and then and even and then getting you know after that um from a musical perspective expanded into different types of music you didn't get you didn't let yourself just stick within that sort of misfits genre the punk genre but got into more you know the folk uh component with the vagabond uh time and, and as well and beyond and whatnot so i was just wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about um where you went at, you know, after the misfits, you know, and, and, and that, that maybe just why you wanted to kind of read, branch out in those different ways. Well, I left the misfits because there was nobody in that circle that cared about my future. There was nobody that was looking out for, for my, my well being, And I could take care of myself physically. I'm talking about the business of things music is a business oh, yeah. and and there was a lot there was a lot of money in you know i, I was signed to geffen uh, then i was signed to roadrunner we were there was there was a there was a lot you know it was a legitimate thing but publishing and contracts and teach you know oh, again i was a 20 year old i was a kid i just wanted to play in a band you, you know you, you gave me a couple thousand dollars and oh my god you know i'm gonna 
I'm going to spend two weeks surfing in between, in between, um, tours or, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kid and there's nobody thinking like, all right, you know, we have to, um, tell, teach Michael about what, you know, there was nobody looking out from, from my, for, for the business end of things. And I knew that and I struggled and I did my best to understand things and, and play the game, um, if you will. Uh, and at the end of my run with the misfits, you know, as, as things were, were coming apart, I was so unhappy. Like I, fe- I was miserable inside. I was, and that didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. I mean, my dreams had come true. Literally my dreams had come true. We were selling out shows all over the world. Uh, our records were doing really well. We were, everything was great. You know, everything was great. Um, except when you, when you really looked inside at, at, at the band and, um, it, it was, it was messed up and I, I felt horrible and I, I felt lost and everything was just painful and it was, it was, it was crazy, man. So it got to a point, you know, I reached a, a real low and I said to myself, what is this all for? Sure. I have a lot of money. There's beautiful women. I'm in Los Angeles. We're on TV. I can call up Twiggy from Marilyn Manson right now. I'm hanging out with Rob Zombie. There's, it's like that, you know, it's like that. It's like what you would think it would be, but it's just not, you know? And so I got to that rock and roll crossroads. I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. Do I continue like this and ride, you know, because there is, there's still more of the wave, right? Do yeah. I keep going? Do I keep going or do I ditch out and, and, and wait for something else to come along, you know, or, or because this is not making me feel good. Well, you know, or do I just get out of this and, and, and dream and dream and, and, and dream something else. And when I really looked at it, I, 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 I ditched, I immediately turned my surfboard and I got off the wave and I, and I ran and I, and I, and I walked away because my, my heart and my soul were not happy it did not feel good to be me it didn't feel good to be on the nothing felt good and so I left and I told those guys when I left why I was leaving and that I would rather and I told the fans too I would rather go back to Dumont I would rather go back to anywhere and have to live on the corner in a box with no money at all nobody knows my name I'll never never have any of this the lights on me again and be happy in my heart with the decisions that I make about such huge things and what I reflect back out onto the world, uh, then stick with the status quo and what was happening to me and lie to people. And God knows I, I would be a very, very different person because that's, I think that's the road that people start to go down when you have so much pain that you start to cover it with things, whether that's drugs or whatever that is. And it, and life shouldn't hurt that bad. And so I left. Well, where did you go? So I went back to, I literally went back to Seaside Heights, New Jersey and started all over again. Cause eventually my money ran out. Um, I, I still hear it from fans. It's part of my, my story that 
people say, did you really work at IHOP? You went back and I say, yeah, man, I, I, I really did. There was a, there was a, a cook in the kitchen who knew who I was. You know, he knew that I was Michael Graves, never said anything about it. And every night that kid, every night that kid cooked me something to, and, and just put it in a bag. And it was like the best cheeseburger I ever ate. And he would always cook me these cheeseburgers and leave them in a bag for me to take home at night. Cause he knew that he knew who I was and he knew that where I, I, I had come from and it was hard, man. It was hard. Um, and so, yeah, I went back to Seaside Heights, New Jersey and, and I, and I, um, and I started, I started again. I, I was, I, I had a girl that I was in love with that eventually, um, it felt, you know, fell apart. And I, I had to say, what, what in the world am I going to, what do I do now? Right. I mean, remember I couldn't call up the record company or management company. It was just me. It was like in the, you know, when you get whacked, I was, yeah. I hadn't, I had no number to call. I was gone. And so what did you do? Well, um, I kept on working and I moved out of, out of the house that I, that I was in. And at one point I, um, I, I had a conversation with my father, my, and again, my father's a very different person than me. My father was a police officer all my life. Before that he was, he, he was in the military. Um, and so my father's answer was, was always, you know, join the military, you know, do some time, do some time in the military. Not that that was a bad thing, but that's what, you know, my family was like that. My, my, and you know, my, my, my dad's advice was, was, and it's something that my father and I always, always share. There's definitely a part of my father and me that, that I can't get away from. Um, and so my dad started, you know, he knew about that sort of life and we started talking about it and it, it seemed like a, a good idea to ponder. Um, so the plan started to become, all right, well, I'll look into this. I can, I can get experience. I can go to college. I can get a job. I can have, I can have a foundation in, in which to, in which to build from, because I always wanted to have a family. I always hoped to fall in love with somebody and, and be able to provide for them. Well, how do I do that? And, and so there, that answer was, and life just so happens to then throw at me and, uh, the opportunity to run into somebody that I had gone to high school with, um, who happened to, who was somebody that, that actually my brother graduated with. And I, I went to school with, with his brother, um, who was a, a Marine Corps recruiter. And so him and I started to talk and, um, yeah, I started to shift my mind thinking, all right, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll join the military, but it was tough because I was, um, at this point, you know, 27 years old, 26, yeah, 27 a, years old. That's like ancient for the Marines, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, yeah, it is. Um, so I get back home and, and I start thinking about that. Right. And Chud and I start a band called Graves mm -hmm. and which he kind of talks me into. And I, I didn't want any part of it because Again, like I'm still reeling from, from leaving the misfits. Um, 
and so we're going through this and and we start this band we find some guys and september 11th wow. happens mm-hmm. right and so new york city's on fire the the, the towers fall which is Again, it's a, it's a tr- tremendous blow to, to us. We live right there. I live 12 miles from the George Washington Bridge. There's smoke in the sky. Um, and now starts the part of my life where there's just this series of really horrible things. Fast forward through, through September 11th. We go out on the road. It's a very difficult thing. Right before we, we leave, I get news that a friend of mine and his fiance were, were murdered. They were shot to death in Tom's river, uh, by a, by a crazed ex police officer from Newark. It was a terrible, terrible thing. So, so, um, I, I lost a lot of people. I had, I had a good friend of mine that her and I connected, uh, after our, our, my mom, and, and this, this individual's mom saw that we were, we both had heartache and decided to get us together. And we had known each other all of our lot, all of our lives and long, sort of long story short, this individual and I made, made this really neat connection. And she was studying to be a marine biologist and, um, went back to, uh, to, where she was studying and where she was working and, and something happened. And, uh, I got a call that, that she had committed suicide. So it was just like this one thing after another, right? This one thing after another and graves breaks up and I start this other band. Meanwhile, we're not making any money. I meet this, this other woman. I'm trying to get into the Marine Corps, trying to make that decision about things. The political world is just crazy. You know, I start writing articles that ruffle the feathers of what seems to be the entire punk industry. And again, getting into the military at my age, now I'm 28 years old. Now I'm 29 years old is really rough, man. It's really rough. I have to get waivers for this and that, my age. You know, there's guys who are 18 years old that I'm competing against as far as like physical. It's just insane. And I have no money. I'm miserable. Lord have mercy. So um, at one point I make the jump and I say, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm done. I'm done with music. I've, I've had it. A uh, An article came out in the New York Times about my involvement and, and my my spat, if you will, with Fat Mike from No Effects and PunkVoter.com. It was this huge um, voter drive initiative. And, um, you know, I was taking the other side of some of the, the issues that they had. And it just became this big shit show, if you will. And all my tours got canceled and it got to a point where nobody would interview me and they were calling me, you know, it was it was a lot like today, you know, I, I was being called a racist and a Nazi and all of these terrible, terrible things. And I couldn't, we, I couldn't tour anymore. I would either, we would either get, you know, into fights every night or, or, or the, the promoters would, would get pressured by other people and they would cancel. And so I said, I had, I've, I've had it. I've had it. I just want a normal life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I, I joined the Marine Corps. I joined the Marine Corps and I thought, you know what, I, I, what, 
I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna do something different. I was getting much more satisfaction at that point because as I was transitioning into the military and trying to to get my billet to uh, you know be able to go to boot camp, I got to meet a lot of really fine, especially young individuals, guys or, or you know guys you know men in their twenties that were coming home. Um, you know, from, from, from battle and even back then, you know, having a real hard time with things, these 20 something year old snipers, for example, they would come home and, and try to transition back into civilian life and sometimes have a really hard time. And uh, I was introduced to, to, to one kid in particular and who loved my music. And so I got to sit and work with him and talk with him and, and again, I was around because I, I was using who I was a, as a way to motivate these young kids who, who were who were trying to figure out their lives and, and really striving for excellence and who were scared and that were that were as, as well trying to to get into the military. And so it was it was it really helped to be around a lot of that. Did any of that help you sort of maybe reconnect to why you wanted to create music in the first place? That that sense of, you know, putting something out into the world, seeing people react, you know, going back even to those those early days of wanting to be the preacher, right? You know, where where you've you've now you have something to say and there's people that, that need to hear it. And the, you know, after going through the ringer with, you know, all the the other components of the music business that you outlined earlier was, was having the, those, the, that connection with folks on a more individual level. Did that help you help bring you back to the idea of maybe doing music again? Yeah, it sure did. Yeah, it, it sure did. Cause I was trained, I was being trained to be a, to be a killer. You go to the military, you're, you, you're not trained to do much else, especially in the Marine Corps. You, you're being trained to, on, on how to on how to kill people um, and 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 I, I joined as a rifleman right so I, I, I was going because I was older I've, I what I wanted to do was you know lead a rifle team um, but it never sat in my heart and in my soul, right. There was always all, even from the, the first time I spoke to my dad years before that, like, all right, I might do this pop. There was something in my, in, in my heart, my soul that would always rumble. And it's, it's hard to talk about because, you know, the Marine Corps is part of my story, but it's almost like, I, you know, People just see that in my story and they, and, and I don't like to be thought of like, like, you know, a, a real Marine, you know, a real army guy, a real, because I was, my, my, my military career was very, very short. I did not like it. I was not necessarily good at taking, or I was never good at any of that. I was good at motivating and leading people and assessing weaknesses and, uh, and strengths and utilizing those things in order to make, a, a, especially a team, function and execute 
properly, efficiently, and productively, right? I mean, but that can be, that's where my strengths and ultimately what got me, you know, when I was 30 years old, I was able to, to join the Marine Corps. Um, uh, but, but I, 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 I hated it. And at the end, as I was, as I, ref I refused to continue, I, I just, you know, either throw me in jail or, or, or I want out is what it became. And that's both, and that breaks my heart because it's, it, it, it breaks my heart. And I remember one of my, my commanders, he sat down and he said, you know, Michael, and I was, I was messed up. I was, I was broken. I was, again, I was lost because what world am I going to live in now? What am I going to do? Go back to the music world? I can't. And I can't, I can't, I'm not, I can't go for, I can't exist in this military world. I don't want to kill people. And, and, and I can't, and I don't want to lead people. I, I can't do that. I, I, I mean, I can, but, but I don't want to. Uh, and my commander said to me, man, you know, we need you to fight this war in, in a, in a different way, right? We need you to fight it in, in a different way. And, um, and I didn't know what that meant. And, and it took a while for me to, to, to figure it out. It took a couple, it took a couple more years and some other experiences for me to, to, to figure that out. And so I, I, my, my, I got out of the Marine Corps and I, I still continue to work with, um, um, with, with recruiting a little bit and, and with their, the, the publicity department. And then I had to dream a different dream and I had to figure out a different way. And what I really think that's, that you've gotten to, I mean, looking at some of the music that you, that you, when you did go back to music that you were making was a, was a pretty clear departure from some of the stuff that you were most well known for. And, and I think that's, um, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's not only hard to do, but it's, but it's braved as well. Cause I mean, this is a, this is a business that likes to pigeonhole people that likes to, here's your, here's your label. And you now have to live that label and you, and you yeah. didn't, you refuse that label and went in your own way. I mean, like I said, you know, you do it folk and country a little bit. You got even some faith-based yeah. stuff, things like that. Like, um, yeah. I mean, that seems that that's, that's, that's hard to do. That's not really so, a question. It's a statement, I guess, but. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate that. So here I am fresh out of the military and I, I, I so what am I going to do? Um, so I said, all right, here, this is what I'm going to do. I had the opportunity. My brother got me a job with him. He was, uh, he was leading a, a snowmaking team as, as a part-time gig, uh, an overnight snowmaking team up in Sussex, New Jersey, working for a, a big ski mountain up there. So, uh -huh. so I start working with him and I decide to, uh, go back to school and become, an emergency medical technician, which I did. And I, I focused and I was trained in heavy rescue. Like I'm the guy that shows up and with the jaws of life and I get you out of your car and fly you off in the helicopter type stuff. Um, my dad was a paramedic as well. So it's just something in me. I, I, I love that. So I went to school for that and I learned how to do that. And, um, in through this, I, 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 I pick up the acoustic guitar again and, and I, I say, you know, I'm going to go back to the beginning of, of everything. I'm going to go back to like Robert Johnson, but even before, where, nice. where, where, where rock 
you know, before rock was even born. And I started right. to listen to old Robert Johnson and these old blues guys that would just set up a microphone in the corner of a barn and just start playing and just listening to that. And then working my way through listening to old blues and old, old country and um, old Christian music and the slave songs of the American South and just really getting the soul of, of rock and roll and eventually what became punk rock because I, oh, I've always loved that, that music. And so I started to teach myself how to play and sing in a, in a more profound way, you know, really listen to a lot of Bob Dylan and um, a lot of Bob Dylan. Um, and, and yeah, and, and I said, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start playing music like this. I don't need a band. I want to play like this. I want to play like, again, like, like Bob Dylan. And I think what's interesting about that is that like Bob Dylan, uh, he, you know, he, he never, he refused uh, labels himself. Right. And, uh, and I, I believe when we talked, you know, it's been an, earlier in this, in the interview here, you said you were never really, I think you said you never really clicky, right. You never really sort of lumped yourself into one group or another. You kind of, you know, did your own thing. And this isn't, this, this, this was a way for you to do the same thing musically, right? You weren't going to let yourself be um, confined, I guess would be the word to the right. punk click that you were made famous for, but you know, create, create, create new music on your own and, and, and everything else. And so that, is that what you've been doing since then? Is that the kind of music that you're, I guess we could just talk about like what you're doing now, like where, where are you now? What kind of music you're playing now? What are, what are you, what are you trying to put out there today? I'm just making the music that 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 comes out of me. Uh, really, I, I haven't really sat down and, and wrote anything in uh, maybe a, a couple of years, but um, I'm I'm poised to, and that's one of the, the situations that that this whole virus thing has has forced a lot of people into, in, in, including me. You know, I was on the cusp of of a, of a uh, of, of, of a creative explosion in another way. But, but I, you know, I was writing a couple of, I was working on outlines and working on books um, before this whole thing. And I, I had ideas for short films that I, that I was working on and videos and that I was going to develop and work on while I was out on the road for the next four or five months. Um, and so and now homeschool intervened. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, all, yeah. So, so now my, my time has, is, diff, is, uh, been, has to be divided up in a, in a different sort of way. So I'm focusing on, yeah, I, I, I have some new gear. I'm going to be writing some, some new songs. There's a lot of, there's a lot of songs too that, that I want to cover and just kind of record and just to hear and put out there and share with everybody. Um, Man, yeah, I'm I'm, work, I'm working on developing my podcast. Um, there's actually two or three podcasts that I'm working on developing, and um, I'm I'm starting to look at picking up the the writing the book again <laughs> at some point if I can find time. I'm doing a million. Yeah, I'm really doing a million things, but what I, what I'm focusing on right now is. Um, is communicating with my fans, de developing new music, and um, and and building out my my rig, if you will, up updating all my 
uh, all my hardware and my software so that I can, so that I, I, I can exist in this digital world at a higher level. You know, like all my yeah. equipment is, is is so. I was living in Arkansas six, seven years ago, using this some of the same equipment I had. Um, so, so yeah, so a new foundation, basically. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, I want to thank thank you for for taking the time with us today. I think what's what's always interesting to me when I have these conversations is that you know the name of the podcast is the Big Break, and we always talk about you know first there's the obvious big break of, you know, how some, the person that I'm speaking with yourself, obviously included, um, goes, you know, the, the, the big break that puts them into the music career that, and that sort of sets that path forward, right? There's always that big obvious break, but there's always another less obvious one that sure. tends to be the more impactful one. Right. And I think that your story definitely is, uh, is within that theme in terms of, yeah, you had the big break when you were, um, named the, the new lead singer of the misfits but then you had that secondary big break when you had the realization that it wasn't for you and then you left and that sort of set the next the next stage of of, of where your career is is now and obviously a lot of things happened since then but like there's always there's always that secondary break that i always find really really interesting and it's, it's usually the more interesting one than than just how you kind of got quote famous to be to begin with so um i don't know i think that i think it, it's definitely it's definitely something worth thinking about for anyone listening for sure, Anthony. I think that 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 I, I love the name of the podcast, The Big Break. But that's the point. There's it's not just one. You know, sure, the 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 big break that gives you that opportunity to whatever to sing for somebody or to have the opportunity, whatever it is. But it's 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 almost like the lines on the screen here. I see of the, of, of the waves when you record something, there's sure. the big break. And then there's some, you know, some other little breaks here and there. And then there's another big break. And those are the opportunities. And that's, I like to tell young artists, musicians and creatives that, that the key to it all is to keeping your eyes open, constantly putting yourself in, in a position to learn so that when that next big break comes along, you're ready. When that pitch comes in, you, you see it coming in. You can see the, you can see the, you can see the, the, the laces on the ball, man, so that you can hit it out of the park. That is, that's the key to be ready, to be ready. And, and, and how you are not ready is by being lazy, letting your mind go, letting your body go, letting your chops go, and and just walking in the park every day or sitting on the couch. You got to work. You you have you have to work hard, and you got to be ready. Well, I think that's about as uh, good as place as any and that portion of it. How do uh, how do people stay in touch with you? How do they find you and follow you along the way? Best thing to do is go to officialmichaelgraves.com, officialmichaelgraves.com, and that's where all our, our, our news and, and links will exist for, for everything that, that comes out of me, officialmichaelgraves.com. Okay. Well, I will definitely take a look myself. Michael, thank you so much for spending uh, the time with us today. I do appreciate it. Please, good luck to you and the rest of your of your lockdown, even though things are, are starting to ease up a little bit. Um I, I'm sure it's going to be a while before you're going to be on the road again. So good luck to you with all of that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And you too, you take care. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And everybody that's listening, just, just hang in there and keep punching. Keep punching. 
All right. Thanks for listening. To keep up with Michael and the projects he's working on, check out his social media profiles and his website linked in the show notes. We'll have another brand new episode in two weeks. Until then, stay safe and we'll see you next time.